Tis good, my black kings and my black queens. Today is February 24th, man. Welcome to another episode of Blacks. I'm your host, Ken with two N's. And how are y'all doing today? How are you feeling? How do you feel? Do you feel good? Do you feel relaxed? Do you feel stressed? If you feel stressed, let's take a breath together. Let's take, let's take a quick breath before we get started today, all right? All right, so we're going to do N4. We're going to hold for four, and then we're going to do out four. If you can close your eyes while you do this, the better. If you can't, it still works the same. Are you ready? You ready? 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 Okay, okay. So we're going to breathe in. Two, two, three, four. Now hold it. Now let it out. As Take as long as you can to let it out. And if your eyes are closed, once you finish, open them. How do you feel? Hopefully you feel a little bit better. Um, Before we get this episode really started, let me be a little critical of myself real quick. Um, So yesterday I posted the uh, Bobby Seale and Huey P. Newton episode, the co-founders of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, right? So as I told y'all, I um I do listen to these episodes back. I, I play them back for myself just to kind of um get feedback and then see what I can get out of it as far as, you know, just listening to my own knowledge and then also so I can get feedback about what I need to and what I can improve on in terms of uh, making each episode better, making the show overall better. And one thing, well, not one thing, but yesterday's episode to me was trash. It was dookie, doo-doo, subpar, really is amateur work and that I'm not calling myself a pro at this podcast thing because I'm not I just started a little over three weeks ago so not even a, a month but that was a very amateur episode a very it was irresponsible that was a very irresponsible episode and it shows comfortability and I do not have the accolades nor the status nor the the following or any of the sort to sound like I'm comfortable. And it's not comfortable as in, I don't mean comfortable as in I'm nervous about the show or I'm nervous about, you know, each episode, but comfortable as in I feel like, oh, I got this type of thing. Like, no, I'm nowhere near that. And I, I will never, I'll never take that stance. But yesterday's episode was, it was Dookie, subpar trash, uh, garbage, garbage because um, I noticed one thing, it sounded, it was a lot of movement. I haven't been recording with my, my headphones because I had lost them and I had to find another pair. I knew I had another pair, so I had to find another pair. So I was just talking into my phone, kind of like, you know, like I'm on the phone or something. And uh, I was moving around, you could hear me like shuffling and moving around a lot. And then my voice was kind of like just monotone, and it was just whack and dreary. Um, another thing was that, um, what was another? There was one more. Oh, I sounded like I'm trying to freaking talk with a mouthful of marshmallows. Like, I was not enunciating myself. I was not being articulate. I had, you know, going through my... um my southern drawl type of thing and just kind of slurring words. And, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm listening to it. I'm like, bro, this is amateur. This is, you're, you're better than this. Like, like, of course, you're not a pro. You're not the best at this podcasting thing yet. But to be making these simple mistakes to... to... Sorry for the weird cut, y'all. I had my... um. My phone alarm, come on. But anyway, like I was saying, back to what I was saying, it's like, bro, at this point, you've done so many episodes that these things, these things that you're noticing in the episodes shouldn't even be a problem at this point. Like, these are things that you should have been past. We should have been rectified these. I shouldn't even be being... These aren't things... Things that I am 
the notes that I'm taking from this episode, um, as far as things that I can improve on, the things that I'm writing down or things that I'm taking mental note of shouldn't even be on this list. These are things that should have already been corrected and stay corrected type of thing. And so I just feel like I just want to apologize to y'all, honestly, for posting that content, knowing better. Um, I will redo that episode as well. And just like that Harriet Tubman episode, I will leave it up. I'll leave up the old episode and then also post the revamped version. Just because, you know, there's no point in really me deleting the old version. You know, it's up there. And for me, it's good because, like, once I get to a point where I feel like I am a pro at this, I'm going to look back and be like, man, look how far I came as far as, like, the the, the content and how I'm, my energy and my involvement, my engagement in these episodes, you know what I mean? So, I think, I think, yeah, I'm going to revamp that episode just like I did the Harriet Tubman episode, and not hopefully, but I know for a fact that this episode and the episodes for the rest of this month, really from this point on, will get better and better and better, and, um, yeah, this is is this things that I could come up with to say as to my reason why that episode I put out an episode like that like I did yesterday, but there's no point, right? You know, because that's just excuses. Some people make excuses, others make changes. You know, and I tend and I try to associate myself with the people who make changes. So, uh, anyway, oh, like I said, once again, I apologize for that. But today's episode and the rest of these episodes from now on will be better. I have taken lots of notes. I've taken mental notes. Um, and also, I'm more than willing to take suggestions from you all, from the from the listeners. I'm more than more than welcome to that. You know, um, the email. Don't worry about the email right now. I have to change the email. But you can definitely DM the Instagram at uh, blacks.ent. That's B-L-A-X. Period, E N T, on uh, Instagram, um, and I will be making a Twitter for the podcast as well. That it, that will be coming about very very soon. Anyway, today's episode will be about the amazing life of South Africa's first black president. Yes, I said South Africa's first black president, Nelson Mandela. You know, I'm looking at this picture of Nelson Mandela, and for some reason, he kind of reminds me of Barack Obama. I do not know why, but he just does. Like, I'm looking at him, and I'm picturing, like, this is what Barack Obama will look like once he's older. I I mean, I guess it's like a, a first black president thing. Or is it like that first black presidents favor each other or something like that? I don't know. Somebody tell me. All right, let's get into it. This episode might be kind of long. There's a lot to talk about as far as Nelson Mandela and his life and accomplishments and things like that. But um, we're going to get through it in a nice, even, comfortable pace. All right. So let's get this thing cranking. Let's get it started. Nelson Mandela was elected the first black president of South Africa in 1994. Following the first multiracial election in South Africa's history, Mandela was imprisoned from 1962 to 1990 for his role in fighting apartheid policies established by the ruling white minority. I already told you my my thoughts on that. It's crazy how you're the minority and you still rule over the majority versus here it's like the majority is over the minority. But anyway, revered by his people as a national symbol of the struggle for equality, Mandela is considered one of the 20th century's most influential political figures. He and South African Prime Minister F.W. de Klerk were jointly awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1993 for their role in dismantling the apartheid system. Childhood. Nelson Rililala, I hope I, said, I hope I pronounced that right, Nelson Rililala Mandela was born in the village of Maveso Trinseki, South Africa on July 18, 1918 to Godly Henry. Ooh, this is a last name. I'm going to try to get this, y'all. Mafak. Ooh, I hope, 
ma mfakanyiswa mfakanyiswa so gala henry mfakanyiswa and no kafi no kafi no sec no sekini no kafi no sekini hope i said those right if i didn't please correct me the third of gala's four wives whoa and mandela's native language Hosa, or I don't know how to pronounce It's X-H-O-S-A. I'm not sure if you pronounced the X before that. So it would be Exosa. Yeah, Exosa. Uh, but uh, Roli Lala meant troublemaker. So his name in his native language meant troublemaker. The surname Mandela came from one of his grandfathers. Mandela's father was a chief of the Thimbu tribe in the Mavezo region, but served under the authority of the ruling British government. As a descendant of royalty, Mandela was expected to serve in his father's role when he came of age. But when Mandela was only an infant, his father rebelled against the British government by refusing a mandatory appearance before the British magistrate. For this, he was stripped of his chieftaincy, chieftaincy and his wealth and forced to leave his home. Mandela and his three sisters moved with their mother, Back to the home village of Kunu, there the family lived in more modest circumstances. The family lived in mud huts and survived on the crops they grew and the cattle and sheep they raised. Mandela, along with the other village boys, worked herding sheep and cattle. He later recalled this as one of the happiest periods in his life. Many evenings, villagers sat around the fire telling the children stories passed down through generations of what life had been like before the white man had arrived. From the mid-17th century, Europeans, first the Dutch and then later the British, had arrived on South African soil and gradually taken control from the native South African tribes. The discovery of diamonds and gold in South Africa in the 19th century had only tightened the grip that Europeans had on the nation. By 1900, most of South Africa was under the control of Europeans. In 1910, the British colonies merged with the Boer, which were Dutch, republics to form the Union of South Africa, a part of British, a part of the British Empire. Stripped of their homelands, many Africans were first to work, work for white employers at low-paying rates. Young Nelson Mandela, living in his small village, did not yet feel the impact of centuries of domination by the white minority. All right, we're going to hold up one second, y'all. Um, I got some green tea over here. I'm going to try to take a sip. I don't know if it's still hot or not. Hopefully, I don't... Burn my tongue. Oh, yeah, that's the good stuff right there. Perfect temp, perfect taste. Hey, man, before I keep going, one thing I really want is a, a, a traditional, like, Japanese tea set. Or even not, if it's not a traditional, like, I just want a really good Japanese tea set. So if y'all know anybody that might sell those or where I can get one, not Amazon. I don't want one for Amazon because I don't like those. I already look. Um, yeah, if you got, if you got a nice tea set, or if you got a nice tea set, if you got a nice tea set, man, send me some pictures, man, I'll take it up off you if, if I like it, you know, and make sure y'all here drinking green tea, it is, it's delicious, it's beneficial, helps you with your, oh, <laughs> helps you with your metabolism, everything, but anyway, back, back to what we was talking about, Mandela's education, Although themselves uneducated, Mandela's parents wanted their son to go to school. At the age of seven, Mandela was enrolled in the local mission school. On the first day of class, each child was given an English first name. Roli Lala was given the name Nelson. When he was nine years old, Mandela's father died. Excuse me, Mandela's father transcended. According to his father's last wishes, Mandela was sent to live in the Thimbu capital, Oh my gosh, I'm, I want to pronounce it, I don't, like, I don't want to skip it, but it's like, how do I pronounce this, uh, and, and look, look, the reason why I don't know how to pronounce some of these things is, well, one, I don't speak the language, and then two, I don't really, as far as, like, doing these episodes every day, of course, when I when I start a new schedule, it'll be I'll be a lot more prepared. But as far as like when I do these ep- me doing these episodes every day, I don't plan this out. I just well, uh, the only thing I really think about is what time I'm gonna do it, 
And, you know, because I have to work around, like, all the other stuff that I have to do. So I, have, I think about what time I'm going to do it, and I think about who I'm going to talk about. Those are all the only things that I think about. So once I figure out my time and who, I just kind of look up research, boom, 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 and then I just go. Like, this is all, like, all these episodes have been just, like, freestyle. Like, one take type of thing. Like, I just record once, and that's it. Like, I just put it up there, you know what I mean? Of course, I make little edits here and there if I have to, but for the most part, just I do these episodes in one take, and I don't, like, pre-read anything. I just kind of, of course, I make sure, like, I, I, like, skim through it and make sure, like, facts are actual facts, but for the most part, just I wing it. But uh, I'm going to try to pronounce this word. It's I'm going to spell it for you in case you want to write it out and try to pronounce it or... Write it out and you know how to say it, but it's M Q H E K E Z E W E N I. So for me, it's like Mkiziwini, Winnie, Winnie, Mkiziwini. That's what I'm gonna go with, Mkiziwini, where he could continue his education under the guidance of another tribal chief. Jangintaba Delindabo. Jangintaba Delindabo. Upon first seeing the chief's estate, Mandela marveled at his large home and beautiful gardens. In Mfikizi Mandela attended another mission school and became a devout Methodist during his years with the Delindabo family. Mandela also attended the tribal meetings with the chief who taught him how a leader should conduct himself. When Mandela was 16, he was sent to a boarding school in a town several hundred miles away. Upon his graduation in 1937 at the age of 19, Mandela enrolled in Held Town, a Methodist college. An accomplished student, Mandela also became active in boxing, soccer, and long-distance running. That boy had some good, hey, that man had some good conditioning in 19. You out here doing soccer, and long distance running and boxing. Well, depending on his his style of boxing, if he was offensive, then yeah, this man's conditioning is through the roof. But I mean, he doesn't have to be. Doesn't I mean he doesn't necessarily have to be offensive to have good conditioning because he's already doing soccer and long distance running. But in 1939, after earning his certificate, Mandela began his studies for a Bachelor of Arts at the prestigious Fort Hare College with a plan to ultimately attend law school. But Mandela did not complete his studies at Fort Hare. Instead, he was expelled after participating in a student protest. He returned to the home of Chief Delindabo, where he was met with anger and disappointment. Just weeks after his return home, Mandela received stunning news from the chief. Delindabo had arranged for both his son, Justice, and Nelson Mandela to marry women of his choosing. Neither young man would consent to an arranged marriage, so the two decided to flee to Johannesburg the South African capital. Desperate for money to finance their trip, Mandela and Justice stole two of the chief's oxen and sold them for train fare. Arriving in Johannesburg in 1940, Mandela found the bustling city an exciting place. Soon, however, he was awakened to the injustice of the black man's life in South Africa. Prior to moving to the capital, Mandela had lived mainly among other blacks. But in Johannesburg, he saw the disparity between the races. Black residents lived in slum-like townships that had no electricity or running water, while whites lived grandly off the wealth of the gold mines. Mandela moved in with a cousin and quickly found a job as a security guard. He was soon fired when his employers learned about his theft of the oxen and his escape from his benefactor. Mandela's luck changed when he was introduced to Lazar Sedelsky. There we go. I put the L in the wrong place. Sedelsky a liberal-minded white lawyer. After learning of Mandela's desire to become an attorney, Sadelsky, who ran a large law firm serving both blacks and whites, offered to let Mandela work for him as a law clerk. Mandela gratefully accepted and took on the job at the age of 23, even as he worked to finish his B.A. via correspondence course. Mandela rented a room in one of the local black townships. He studied by candlelight each night and often walked the six miles to work and back because he lacked bus fare. Sadelsky supplied him with an old suit, which Mandela patched up and wore nearly every day for five years. See, um, 
just kind of stepping away from the episode, a lot of, a lot of us, we live a life that is above our needs, right? We live a life, we live life in excess, not in abundance. Living life in abundance and living life in excess is two different things, two different concepts. I won't get into it, but it's two different things. And most of us live our lives in excess. And so that means we have more than what we need and the overflow does not get used. You know, the extra, the what's on top does not get used. It goes to the wayside. And so, like it says here, he was saying, he passed up the suit and wore it nearly every day for five years. Many of us, I'm not telling you wear wear the same clothes every day for five years. I'm not telling you to do that. But what I am saying is that it's, that you can. It's possible. It'll save you money. I know for me, for myself, for work, I wear the exact same outfit every day. Literally, dig. I wear the I wear the same shirt. Like I have two outfits that I wear, and I, I work four days a week at my um at my main job at where I'm a manager. Um, so I work I work this management position. Well, five days, my bad. I said four days. Five days. I work this management position five days a week, right? Um, Sunday through Thursday. I wear the same exact clothes. <laughs> I wear the same out the same two outfits Sunday through Thursday for work. And it's the first the first three days, the first three days I wear jeans. I have one pair of work jeans that I use from way back when. I wear that three days in a row. All right. Three days, right? And I wear a t-shirt. And I wear a hoodie on top of my t-shirt. And then I wear a bubble jacket on top of my hoodie. And I was saying, I have my work shoes. I wear the same work shoes, right? That's one outfit. And then the next outfit, literally keep the top. Keep every, every top the same. And... Just change the pants to some uh, jogger type of pants that I wear. And that's literally my work outfit for five days. Like, first three days I wear the jean outfit. Last two days I wear the jogger outfit, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Why would I, why would I go through the stress of trying to figure out a different outfit every time I go to work? Why would I do that? What's the point of that? That's not necessary. Why why would I why would I wake up and stress about that? I'm now I'm stressing before I even go to work, so I'm, now I'm showing up work stressed about my outfit that shouldn't even be a problem because if I just were to wear if I just wear the same thing, then there'd be no stress, you know. And so that's what I do. I literally wear, the only thing. I'm gonna tell you the three. There's only three things that changed that change every five days. Within my, um, well, it changes every day, but as far as my, my work schedule, the things that change, the only things that change every day are my t-shirt, my underwear, and my socks. That's it. But even still, with my t-shirts, I, I have certain t-shirts that are specifically for work. So I wear the same work t-shirt every week, you know? And then um, we're going to get back into this, but I'm going to touch on one more thing. He said, it says that he studied by candlelight each night and often walked six miles to and from work. A lot of us complain about stuff that we don't have, right? Things that we don't have that would make life easier. But simply because life, it would make life easier doesn't mean that it should keep you from doing the hard stuff now, right? So say you don't have a car, right? And you have to walk to work or you have to take a bus to work or you have to ride the bike to work. Then do what you have to do until you get to a point where you can put yourself in a better position to make things easier for you. Like for me, when I came out of high school in my first two years of college, I didn't have a car. I did not. So for me, um, 
I didn't. I I worked on camp at the time I was staying on campus. I worked on campus, and where I stayed at on campus, my job was literally right down the street. So I worked to and fro, to and fro. But even still, if it was raining, I had to walk there. You know what I mean? Luckily, I had great coworkers, and so if it was raining when we got off, they'd offer me a ride to um up to my my dorm building. But in the mornings, you know, like having to walk there or get there, hey, I'm walking in the cold, the sleet, the rain, the snow. It doesn't matter. I'm walking in it because it does. I, I gotta get there. Now I moved off campus into an apartment. Still didn't have a car. And now I'm walking even further to work. You know, I'm not walking six miles, but I'm walking at least a mile and a mile and a half, almost two. Really, yeah, we'll really say mile and a half, mile and a half. And that's I'm walking that early in the morning. If I gotta get there early in the morning, I'm walking there early in the morning. And depending on what time I get out at night, I'm walking back. You know what I mean? And so you just, a lot of people complain about the obstacles in their way. If you just go through these things and you get through these obstacles and you see it through and you work to get out on the other end of this, you'll be so much happier when you look back and you saw that this is something that you wanted. You worked for it. No matter what you had to go through, you did it and you accomplished that goal. Anyway, I'm going to get off the soapbox back to uh, Brother Nelson Mandela. In 1942, Mandela finally completed his B.A., his bachelor's, and enrolled at the University of Witwatersrand as a part-time law student at WITS, which is, the, I guess, the short name for the university. At WITS, he met several people who would work with him in the years to come for the cause of liberation. In 1943, Mandela joined the African National Congress, ANC, an organization that worked to improve conditions for blacks in South Africa. That same year, Mandela marched in a successful bus boycott staged by thousands of residents of Johannesburg in protest of high bus fares. As he grew more infuriated by racial inequalities, Mandela deepened his commitment to the struggle for liberation. He helped to form the Youth League, which sought to recruit younger members and transform the ANC into a more militant organization one that would fight for equal rights. Under the laws of the time, Africans were forbidden from owning land or houses in towns. Their wages were five times lower than those of whites, and nobody could vote. In 1944, Mandela, age 26, married nurse Evelyn Mace, almost said that wrong, don't know how, um, 22, and they moved into a small rental home. The couple had a son, uh, Madiba, in February 1945, and a daughter, Makaziwe, in 1947. Their daughter transcended of meningitis as an infant. They welcomed another son, Magatho, in 1950, and a second daughter named Makaziwe after her late sister in 1954. Following the general elections of 1948, in which the White National Party claimed victory, the party's first official act was to establish apartheid. With this act, the long-held haphazard system of segregation in South Africa became a formal institutionalized policy supported by laws and regulations. The new policy would even determine by race which parts of town each group could live in. Blacks and whites were to be separated from each other in all aspects of life, including public transportation in theaters and restaurants and even on benches. Uh, Give me one sec, y'all. I'm about to take another sip of this delicious green tea. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I want y'all to hear this. I want y'all to hear the, the, like, the graciousness of this. Oh, my gosh, y'all. When I tell you, when you get your tea at the perfect temperature, and I mean, it's, like, perfect. Like, it's not too hot. It's not cold. It's good and warm. And, you know, I mean, you feel it. When it hits your stomach and it just warms your 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 insides and you just love it. I mean, you just you gotta love it. But anyway, uh, yes. If you did not, if you haven't heard of my episode about apartheid, please go check it out. I have a whole episode dedicated to apartheid and what it is and its effect on South Africa and how it was reprimanded and uh, eventually rectified 
Now, Mandela completed his law studies in 1952 and, with partner Oliver Tombo, opened the first black law practice in Johannesburg. The practice was busy from the start. Clients included Africans who suffered the injustices of racism, such as seizure of property by whites and beatings by the police. Despite facing hostility from white judges and lawyers, Mandela was, I think I said Mandela, my goodness, Mandela was a successful attorney. He had a dramatic and passionate style in the courtroom. During the 1950s, Mandela became more actively involved with the protest movement. He was elected president of the ANC Youth League in 1950. In June 1952, the ANC, along with Indians and colored or biracial people, two other groups also targeted by discriminatory laws, began a period of nonviolent protest known as the Defiance Campaign. Mandela spearheaded the campaign by recruiting, training, and organizing volunteers. The campaign lasted six months, with cities and towns throughout South Africa participating. Volunteers defied the laws by entering areas meant for whites only. Several thousand were arrested in that six-month time, including Mandela and other ANC leaders. He and other groups of he and other members of the group were found guilty of statutory communism. And sentenced to nine months of hard labor, but the sentence was suspended. The publicity garnered during the Defiance campaign helped the membership in the ANC soar to 100,000. The government twice banned Mandela, meaning that he could not attend public meetings or even family gatherings because of his involvement in the ANC. His 1953 banning lasted two years. Mandela, along with others on the executive committee, committee of committee, my good, I gotta slow down. I think I'm trying to read too fast. Committee of the ANC drew up the Freedom Charter in June 1955 and presented it during a special meeting called the Congress of the People. The charter called for equal rights for all, regardless of race, and the ability of all citizens to vote own land, and hold decent-paying jobs. In essence, the charter called for a non-racial South Africa. Months after the charter was presented, police raided the homes of hundreds of members of the ANC and arrested them. Mandela and 155 others were charged with high treason. They were released to await a trial date. Mandela's marriage to Evelyn suffered from the strain of his long absences. They divorced in 1957, after 13 years of marriage, through work, Mandela met Winnie Madikizela, Winnie Madikizela, a social worker who has sought his legal advice. They married in June of 1958, just months before Mandela's trial began in August. Mandela was 39 years old, Winnie only 21. The trial would last three years. During that time, Winnie gave birth to two daughters. Zinani and Zendzizwa. Zendzizwa. Um, then there's the Sharpeville Massacre. I already talked about, I already covered the Sharpeville Massacre, but um, if you haven't listened to the apartheid episode, I will give you a little brief information on it right here. Um, in early March, another, apart- another anti-apartheid group the Pan-African Congress, PAC, PAC, had held large demonstrations protesting strict pass laws, which required Africans to carry identification papers with them at all times in order to be able to travel throughout the country. During one such protest in Sharpeville, police had opened fire on unarmed protesters, killing 69 and wounding more than 400. The shocking incident, which was universally condemned, was called the Sharpeville Massacre. And um, if you want a little bit more information on that, like I said, check out the Apartheid episode. Prior to the verdict, the band ANC had held an illegal meeting and decided that if Mandela was acquitted, he would go underground after the trial. He would operate clandestinely to give speeches and gather support for the liberation movement. A new organization, the National Action Council, was formed and Mandela was named as its leader. In accordance with the ANC plan, Mandela became a fugitive directly after the trial. He went into hiding at the first of several safe houses, most of them located in Johannesburg. 
Mandela stayed on the move, knowing that police were looking everywhere for him. Venturing out only at night, when he felt safest, Mandela dressed in disguises, such as a chauffeur, chauffeur or a chef. He made unannounced appearances, giving speeches at places that were presumed safe, and also made radio broadcasts. The press took to calling him the Black Pimpernel after the title character in the novel The Scarlet Pimpernel. In October 1961, Mandela moved to a farm in Ravonia outside of Johannesburg. He was safe for a time there and could even enjoy visits from Winnie and their daughters. So, in response to the government's increasingly violent treatment of protesters, Mandela developed a new arm of the ANC, a military unit that he named Spear of the Nation, known as MK, also known as MK. The MK will operate using a strategy of sabotage, targeting military installations, power facilities, and transportation links. Its goal was to damage property of the state, but not harm to individuals. The MK's first attack came in December 1961 when they bombed an electric power station in empty government offices in Johannesburg. Weeks later, another set of bombings were carried out. White South Africans were startled in the realization that they could no longer take their safety for granted. In January 1962, Mandela, who had never in his life been out of South Africa, was smuggled out of the country to attend a pan-African conference. He hoped to get financial and military support from other African nations, but was not successful. In Ethiopia, Mandela received training in how to fire a gun and how to build small explosives. After 16 months on the run, Mandela was captured on August 5, 1968, when the car he was driving was overtaken by police. He was arrested on charges of leaving the country illegally and inciting a strike. The trial began on October 15, 1962. Refusing counsel, Mandela spoke on his own behalf, which makes sense because he was a lawyer. He used his time in court to denounce the government's immoral discriminatory policies. Despite his impassioned speech, he was sentenced to five years in prison. Mandela was 44 years old when he entered Pretoria local prison. In prison in Pretoria for six months, Mandela was then taken to Robben Island, a bleak, isolated prison off the coast of Cape Town in May of 1963. After only a few weeks there, Mandela learned he was about to head back to court, this time on charges of sabotage. He would be charged along with several other members of MK who had been arrested on the farm in Ravonia. During the trial, Mandela admitted his role in the formation of MK. He emphasized his belief that the protesters were only looking toward what they deserved, equal political rights. Mandela concluded his statement by saying that he was prepared to die for his cause. Mandela and his seven co-defendants received guilty verdicts on June 11, 1964. They could have been sentenced to death for so serious a charge, but each was given life imprisonment. All of the men, except one white prisoner, were sent to Robben Island. At Robben Island, each prisoner had a small cell with a single light that stayed on 24 hours a day. Prisoners slept on the floor upon a thin mat. Meals consisted of cold porridge and an occasional vegetable or piece of meat. Although Indian Asian prisoners received more generous rations than their black counterparts. As a reminder of their lower status, black prisoners wore short pants all year round, whereas they were whereas others were allowed to wear trousers. Inmates spent nearly ten hours a day at hard labor digging out rocks from a limestone quarry. The hardships of prison life made it difficult to maintain one's dignity, but Mandela resolved not to be defeated by his imprisonment. He became the spokesperson and leader of the group and was known by his clan name, Madiba. Over the years, Mandela led the prisoners in numerous protests, hunger strikes, food boycotts, and work slowdowns. He also demanded reading and study privileges. In most cases, the protests eventually yielded results. Now, this is a man who is dedicated to the cause, right? So he was already out in the real world in the country, in this country. You know what I mean? Um, organizing strikes and boycotts and and things of this nature. And now he's in prison. Well, a lot of people, if they would have went to prison, they would have just, you know, did their time and got out or been, um, oh, like, this is the worst point of my life. How do I get out of this? This man literally took his passion, his his purpose, 
and just carried it with him. Like, like he just picked it up. When they was like, you're guilty. You're going to jail for life. He was just like, cool. Packed all this stuff up. Packed his passion, his purpose. Packed it up. Put it in his pocket. You know what I'm saying? Wrapped it up. Put it in his pocket. And carried it with him right into prison. Like, there's no, there's no hitch in his step. There's no slowdown. He just basically picked up where he left off just in a different area of life, just in a different predicament. Mm, excuse me. And I feel like somebody who who does that, you know, they have a, a, a significant or a tremendous change in their life, such as going to prison. And you just take your passion and your purpose and you just carry it with you. You just transition it to that other side of what is now your life. To me, that's something that demands and is old an immense amount of respect for me that you can't I feel like I feel like you it's just something that needs and should be respected when you see a person with that type of versatility and perseverance. Mandela suffered personal losses during his imprisonment. His mother transcended in January of nineteen sixty eight and his twenty five year old son Fimby transcended after a car accident the following year. A heartbroken Mandela was not allowed to attend either funeral. In 1969, Mandela received word that his wife Winnie had been arrested on the charges of communist activities. She spent 18 months in solitary confinement and was subjected to torture. The knowledge that Winnie had been in prison called Mandela great distress. I believe. I wouldn't be I would be surprised if it didn't. Um throughout his imprisonment, Mandela remained the symbol of the anti-apartheid movement still inspiring his countrymen. Following a free Mandela campaign in 1980 that attracted global attention, the government capitulated capitulated somewhat. In April 1982, Mandela and four other Ravonia prisoners were transferred to Polesmoor Prison on the mainland. Mandela was 62 years old and had been at Robben Island for 19 years. Conditions were much improved from those at Robben Island. Inmates were allowed to read newspapers, watch TV, and receive visitors. Mandela was given a lot of publicity as the government wanted to prove to the world that he was being treated well. In an effort to stem the violence and repair the failing economy, Prime Minister, Prime Minister P.W. Botha announced on January 31, 1985 that he would release Nelson Mandela if Mandela agreed to renounce violent demonstrations. But Mandela refused any offer that was not unconditional. In December 1988, Mandela was transferred to a private residence at the Victor Verster prison outside Cape Town and later brought in for secret negotiations with the government. Little was accomplished, however, until Botha resigned from his position in August 1989, forced out by his cabinet. His successor, F.W. de Klerk, was uh, was ready to negotiate for peace. He was willing to meet with Mandela. At Mandela's urging, de Klerk released Mandela's fellow political prisoners without condition in October 1989. Mandela and de Klerk had long discussions about the illegal status of the ANC and other opposition groups, but came to no specific agreement. Then, on February 2, 1990, de Klerk made an announcement that stunned Mandela in all of South Africa. The clerk enacted a number of sweeping reforms, lifting the bans on the ANC, the PAC, and the Communist Party, among others. He lifted the restrictions still in place from the 1986 state of emergency and ordered the release of all nonviolent political prisoners. Um, I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, it says, you know, this announcement stunned Mandela and all other South Africans. And... Um, you know, him lifting all these all these bans and these restrictions and releasing these people and whatnot. It's a law of power, specifically law of number three, conceal your intentions. Clearly, nobody knew what this man was about to do when he did it, because if they did, nobody would be stunned. I believe that this may have been a man of great power and great knowledge, the clerk, because he embodied law number three. Conceal your intentions. On February 11, 1990, Nelson Mandela was given an unconditional release from prison. After 27 years in custody, he was a free man at the age of 71. Mandela was welcomed home by thousands of people cheering in the streets. 
Soon after his return home, Mandela learned that his wife, Winnie, had fallen in love with another man in his absence. Lord, Jesus. Oh, Lord. Not another woman. That's like them, um, them, the military dudes that go on deployment and leave their girl at home. Hey, my G. Keep tabs on her, bro. Hey, keep, keep tabs on her, homie. Anyway, the Mandela separated in April 1992 and later divorced. Mandela knew that despite impressive changes that had been made, there was still much work to be done. He returned immediately to working for the ANC, traveling across South Africa to speak with various groups and to serve as a negotiator for further reforms. In 1993, Mandela and the clerk were awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for their joint effort to bring about peace in South Africa. On April 27, 1994, South Africa held its first election in which blacks were allowed to vote. The ANC won 63% of the votes, a majority in parliament. Nelson Mandela, only four years after his release from prison, was elected the first black president of South Africa. Nearly three centuries of white domination had ended. Mandela visited many Western nations in an attempt to convince leaders to work with the new government in South Africa. He also made efforts to help bring about peace in several African nations, including Botswana, Uganda, and Libya. Mandela soon earned the admiration and respect of many outside of South Africa. During Mandela's term, he addressed the need for housing, running water, and electricity for all South Africans. The government also returned land to those it had been taken from and made it legal again for blacks to own land. In 1998, Mandela married Grace, Grace McHale, on his 80th birthday. McHale, 52 years old, was the widow of a former president of Mozambique. Nelson Mandela did not seek re-election in 1999. He was replaced by his deputy president, Thabo Mbeki. Mandela retired to his mother's village of Kunu Transkai. Oh, I think I said Transeki earlier, but right here it said trans guy I don't, i'm not sure which one it is um please correct me on that mandela became involved in raising aids fun i said raising aids well yeah technically raising aids but raising funds for hiv and aids an epidemic in africa he organized the aids benefit 46664 concert in 2003 so named after his prison id number um, in 2005, Mandela's own son, Magatho, transcended of AIDS at the age of 44. In 2009, the United States General Assembly designated July 18th, Mandela's birthday, as Nelson Mandela International Day. Nelson Mandela transcended at his Johannesburg home on December 5th, 2013, at the age of 95. And that... My brothers and sisters, my kings and queens, is the life and legacy of the great, the one and only Nelson Mandela. Um, man, amazing life, amazing guy, amazing person. There's one person that I would I would have liked to have been able to meet with, you know, kind of pick his brain and see what, you know, see what, uh, you know, just pick his brain and see his thoughts. You know, get get real deep in into his cerebral, into his um, into his psyche, his mental, and just see what kind of things that he would, you know, he would say about today's world, about current events and whatnot. Um, like I said, when when we ever use usually when we talk about somebody that's prolific, uh, prominent, a very important figure, we talk about a famous quote that they have. And um, so right here, it says, uh, and I quote: "I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it." And I repeat that again. He said. I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. Uh, for me, I like that quote. I really, I really do like that quote because it, it teach. 
it speaks to the fact that, you know, we all have fears. We all have things that we're scared of. We all have um, doubts, this, that, and the other. And that's okay. That's normal. It's, it's okay to have fears. It's okay to be fearful of things. And when you, you know, when you, um, when you acknowledge your fears and you acknowledge your doubts and your worries, and you don't denounce them or you don't try to put them on the back burner or you don't try to ignore them. You you acknowledge them and you bring them to the forefront and you try to address, address them. Once you overcome those fears, once you triumph over those fears, you have now reached what is true courage. You know, courage isn't saying that, oh, I'm not, I mean, I ain't got no fears, man. Don't nothing scare me. I ain't, you know, do whatnot. That's not courage. Courage is acknowledging that we all have fears, that you yourself inside, you have things that you are fearful of. And like I said, you you acknowledge it, you address it, and then you overcome it. And um, one more quote that's not on here, but that I like a lot from Nelson Mandela. And it's one of the things that has influenced me to learn languages and um you know, which is why I have one one of my goals is to learn Arabic. And um, I also, like, I took French in high school, and I've taught myself Spanish over the past year. And so one thing that's kind of influenced me, influenced me to learn more language and it's actually helped me push myself out of my comfort zone is a quote from Nelson Mandela. I have it memorized. And, well, not verbatim, but I'm going to try to repeat um, what I know is close to what he says possible. And what he said was that if you speak to a man in a language that he knows, it goes to his head. But speak to him in his language and it goes to his heart. And so for me, I, I like connecting with people. I like what basically that's what it is. I like connecting with people. I like I like getting to know people, and so I actually just made a a friend. Well, I guess you could call her a friend, but I, yeah, I just made a friend last week um, where I work at one of the one of the cleaning ladies. Um, she asked I was she was cleaning up something, and then I started helping. I just randomly I just started helping her, and then she asked me to do something, but she asked me in English. And I, I knew that she spoke Spanish, so I re- she asked me to do it in English, but I replied in Spanish, knowing just off the top by her level of English that that Spanish is her native language. And so we had a, a conversation in Spanish, and she was just so surprised at like what I knew, my level of Spanish, um, my my accent. Um, the time that I taught my Spanish, myself Spanish in, and uh, she even told, like, there's this lady, this real lady that I work with, she calls my, herself my mom, and that's Miss Leslie, and her and Miss Leslie have been friends for a while, and um, she, was, she even told Miss Leslie, she's like, Miss Leslie, he speaks really good Spanish, Spanish, did you know that type of thing, and so, like, that's just one thing personally that I've taken from, because I knew, I knew much about uh, Nelson Mendoza. This was one person that I didn't know a significant amount of information about prior to this episode. But that's one thing that I've taken with me through the years, through my language journey is, and I will repeat the quote, speak to a man. And this is this is not specifically, you know what I'm saying, man. I don't want anybody to feel like this is a sexist quote or anything like that. It's just man as in, uh, in terms of species, as human. So, Speak to a man in a language that he knows, and it goes to his head. Speak to him in his language, and it goes to his heart. And you'll be surprised how many people actually, like, open up more to you when you speak to them in their language. Because, you know, when you speak to them in their language, it's like it's like you're, tr- you're bridging the gap. And so you're trying to communicate and understand them on a more personal level. And they take that to heart, and they really mean... A lot to them. I've seen it. I've seen people's. Trust me, y'all. I've seen people's faces light up when I speak Spanish. When I go to La Tienda and I go to the Canaceria, 
you know what I'm saying? And I start speaking Spanish to the cashier or just to, uh, to you know, somebody that just works in there. They, they love it. They freaking love it. I'm telling you. They love it. They love it. They love it. Because they don't expect it. They don't expect you to come in there and speak their language to them. They expect you to come in there and speak your language to them. You know, they come, if you go into a Hispanic store, they don't expect you to come in there and speak English because they know that's not, you know, the native language of, of the United States. They expect you to come in there and start speaking English to them. That's just what they expect, you know, because that's, that's, just, that's just how it is. Unless they, unless, well, you know what I'm saying, of course Hispanics are excluded because, you know, when they see a Hispanic person coming to a Hispanic store, they assume, you know, naturally that that person speaks Spanish, you know. But when they see somebody like me or, or they see a white person going there or an Asian person going there or, you know, Anybody who looks like me, any other black person, they, they're not, they're expecting English. They're not expecting you to speak Spanish. So when they speak Spanish, they're stunned, surprised, but they also love it because they feel like, really, it's because, and I tell people this, some, well, I tell my friends this, I'm a man of culture. I love culture. And so when they see that you learn their language, language is a part of culture, they take it that you learning their language is you accepting a piece of their culture, that you find a piece of their culture so interesting that you've taken it upon yourself to to educate yourself about it, and they love it. It means a lot to them, you know? And so, um, I know I got on another soapbox, second soapbox of the episode, and this is a really long episode, but I hope it's more enjoyable. However, um, yeah, man, like I said, Nelson Mandela, great person, great guy. Wish I could have met him. Wish I would have had that opportunity. But, uh, you know, I have to focus on meeting the, the greats, the Nelson Mandelas of this time. But, um, yeah, man, like I said, I know I got on that little soapbox right there, but Nelson Mandela has been a person, an individual who I've carried uh, much of his his word and his work, his word and his work with me uh, throughout my young life, my young years of life. So, uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, I hope you guys love the episode. I hope you love it. I hope you love it. Because I know listening to myself and thinking about, you know, I'm, I'm, even when I'm recording episodes, I'm thinking about things that I could improve and do better. And the way that I feel like I've sounded in this episode, I feel like I've sounded really good. And it's a way, 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 way much better improvement from the past two days. And so, um, like I said, man, please, I hope you enjoy this episode. Share it with others, your brother, mother, sister, cousin, daddy, uncle, your auntie. Three times removed, twice replaced, added, subtracted, never divided. Don't know what that means. We're going to get into it. Maybe if I would have been able to meet Mandela, he could have told us what that means. I mean, I, I mean, you know, I'm going to tell you what it means, but maybe, you know what I mean, maybe it could have helped us out a little bit or something like that. But anyways, <laughs> um, yes, I'm changing the email. Email will be changing soon. Yeah, just I'm giving you all a couple updates. Email will be changing soon. It will be simplified. Um, <clears throat> Twitter is coming. Twitter account will be made soon. That's coming. Um. YouTube account will be made soon. That's coming when I will just be posting all audio on the YouTube. And then eventually, we're going to incorporate video as well. So then you'll be able to see my face, my beautiful black face. And then also when we have other people on, you'll be able to see their beautiful black faces, you know. And uh, and then, hey, if you want to come on the show, just let me know. And then now the people can see your beautiful black face or white face or any other color face that you may have. You know, I don't I, I don't discriminate, man. We can hey. It don't matter what color you are, you can come on the show and we're gonna talk about something. Alright. We're gonna talk about something. Of course it'll most more than likely uh nine times out of ten be black related. But we can still talk about it. You know, we can talk about the differences and how we can come to agreement on certain things. But yes. So the YouTube is coming. The um and the YouTube will be just audio at first. YouTube's coming, uh, the Twitter is coming, 
email changes coming. And yeah, that's it for right now. That's all my updates for right now. And uh then for Oh, and then the Instagram. Well, you know, the Instagram's already up and running. So if you would not mind, please go over there, follow. Uh, every time I post an episode, I always post uh content that is I post the notable quote, the famous quotes if we talk about somebody. Or even if we don't talk about somebody, I just post something that's about the topic of the episode. And um, as I transition into the new schedule, I won't post every... Well, I will post every episode, but I'll also be posting on other days as well. Just so, just to keep the activity up, keep things, you know what I'm saying, keep uh, engagement going, keep engagement rolling. And then, yeah, the uh, Instagram is blacks.ent. That's B-L-A-X dot E-N-T on Instagram. So if you would not mind, please shoot over there and give me a follow. And I appreciate you and all that you do. Um, That'll be it for today's episode, man. Y'all have a great day. Uh, Please, please, please drink you a cup of green tea today. Make sure it's the right temperature. You don't want no cold tea green tea because that's just nasty at least to me it is and then you don't want it too hot because then if it's too hot you're gonna burn your tongue your taste buds gonna be gone and everything you eat is just gonna taste like a sheet of paper so yeah you know anyway have a good day man black peace black love black soul we out